God may not always answer the prayers the way we want God to, but when God does, it's good for us to give space to hear what God has done in our lives. We praise the Lord for being a healer today. We have a prayer campaign that's going to begin Wednesday night. We've done this before in the life of this church. We've done 84-hour prayer campaigns. We've done full weeks. We started the sign-ups last week, and we already have about half of the slots filled, which is amazing. And we have about 40 slots still left. And the way it's going to work this year is from 6 a.m. to 11 p.m., the hours that you sign up to pray will be right here in this room, in the worship center. And in this room, there will be prayer stations, and you're not obligated to go to any of the prayer stations. They're just here to serve as a way to help us pray, maybe help us pray differently. There'll be some things you can pray over. There'll be different ways that you can reflect on gratitude and what God has done in your life. From 11 p.m. until 6 a.m., you're going to pray off-site. So there won't be prayer happening here. It'll be in your home. If you choose to drive around and you want to do that early morning in Memphis, go for it, all right? But you're going to pray just where you are. And there will be prayer prompts that we send, that I will send to you to help you. And some people like those AM places to pray. Sometimes people like that for the challenge it presents. And I said last week, and I want to encourage you again, that for those of you who sign up for those late night or early morning prayer times, I just want you to think about how many people, even in the life of this church, are battling forms of loneliness or anxiety or depression or that temptation just seems to go to another level like when it's uh, late at night, early in the morning. Uh, so the prayer coverage that we give in those late nights may matter when it comes to just the peace of God descending on a life more than you may know. So I want to encourage you today, there's a table out there where there are about 40 slots left for you to pray. And for those of you in the worship center today, in your pew, on the ends, there are index cards again. And we did this last week and dozens of cards were turned in where if you have a prayer request that you would like for us to take before God through, through those 84 hours, just write it on there. And there are uh, little baskets, containers that are on the two uh, tables in the back where we have the Lord's table, it has prayer requests on them, or you can take those cards to one of our elders, or to Kim Chapman or Jenna King, who will be our two prayer partners today after this message, or give them to me. And if you are one of those people who late at night, early in the morning, there's, there's uh, sleep patterns that aren't healthy, there's anxiety, will you just write on there, like those are prayers you need. Late night, early in the morning, like you need prayer coverage and would love for us to take that specifically, intentionally before God for you. Open your Bibles to John chapter 17. We've been in a uh, series now just looking at the last week of Jesus' life before he died on a cross according to the Gospel of John. And in John 17, it's, uh, one thing I'm excited about today is I don't just get to talk about prayer and I don't just get to read the Word of God to you and reading the Word of God to you, we hear the voice of Jesus. So all John 17, it is a prayer that Jesus lifts up to God just hours before he's going to hang on a cross. And hours before he hangs on a cross, he prays for himself, he prays for his disciples, and he prays for us. John 17, 1 through 5, goes like this. After Jesus said this, he looked, looked toward heaven and he prayed, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that your Son may glorify you. For you granted him authority over all people that he might give eternal life to all those you have given him. And now this is eternal life. And Jesus spells out, this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. 
I have brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. And then skip to verse 15. And here's how Jesus prays for his disciples. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. It took so much guts, I think, for Jesus to pray this for them. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. And as you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. And then he prays for us, for like all those who, who will believe in him. And look how many times Jesus prays for unity and for one, like for us to be one. My prayer in verse 20 is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message that all of them may be one. Father, just as you and I, you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I and them and you and me so that they may be brought to complete unity. And then the world will know. Like Jesus understands the unity of his believers becomes a witness to the world of who Jesus is. Through us being unified, then the world will know that you sent me. And I have loved them even as you have loved me. For the reading of the word of God, the whole church said, Amen. One of my closest friends in life and in ministry is Rick Ashley. He preaches at a church in Fort Worth. It's a multi-site campus, meaning that there are a few campuses. So there are some weeks that Rick will record his sermon on Wednesday or Thursday that will be shown to those campuses every week. And last Wednesday, he sent me a text. It was the day that they had recorded a message. He sent me a link to the message, even before it was going to go to the church that weekend. And he said, hey, I need you to watch about a minute and a half in because I take a shot at your city in it. Which I got a little defensive because I love Rick. But as many of us do, like when people take shots at the 901, we're very defensive. We live with a chip on our shoulder. And the last thing I wanted was to get some of my Memphis folks and have to go to Fort Worth to meet up with Rick and some of his folks, all right? So I, I, I watched his message and he talked about how he was invited to speak at an event years ago here in Memphis. They picked him up at the airport and they took him to eat barbecue. And you understand all the barbecue wars, right? Texas versus Memphis, Memphis versus Kansas City. And he said he went to a place and ordered a pulled pork sandwich. And when it got to him, he couldn't believe that there was slaw on the sandwich. And which Rick in the moment talks about, like there are those moments when you eat food, especially barbecue, like it should be a witness to God's faithfulness. Like atheists should come to know who Jesus is by good barbecue. And then he said there are also those moments that you eat it and you're reminded that there is a hell. And, and that's how he described a pulled pork sandwich in Memphis. How many of you eat slaw on your pulled pork sandwiches? This is a show of hands. How many of you don't eat slaw on your pulled pork sandwich? Just a show of hands. And I don't know how many of you, when it comes to ordering at a restaurant, like you're really difficult. Like not just, I'm not just talking about pulled pork sandwiches. Like you can't order enchiladas without needing something added or something taken away. And it may not be you. If you were sitting next to that person who is difficult to order at restaurants, will you just point at him right now? Kind of say, all right, we got, we got a little pointing going on. So there was a Christian leader from the eastern part of the world. So when we talk eastern world, we're talking Asia, we're talking Middle East, places where Christianity is thriving. And he was reflecting on prayer lives of people in the western world. So we're talking about like the United States, places in Europe. So this is a Christian leader in the eastern world. And he was, he was just critiquing and thinking about how Christians pray in the western world. 
And he was struck by how direct many of us in the Western world are, are when we pray. How direct we are. He said, y'all pray like you're at Burger King. It's like when you pray to God, it's like, God, I want a double patty, but cut the onions. And will you add a little extra mustard? And I'll go ahead and take the chicken fries, but I don't like the sauce you have. So can you get the sauce from Zaxby's for my Burger King chicken fries? Like, this is how direct we are when we pray. And he said, Easterners pray differently than that. He said, when Easterners pray, there's more silence. There's more reverence. There's reflection which leads to more suspense and adventure. So who's right? Because when it comes to prayer, a lot of times, I mean, we, we do, like one thing he reflected on in the Western world, he said, okay, you, you like dictate how the entire prayer times go when in the Eastern world, when, and, then, and I love this, I hope some of you remember this. He says, in the Eastern part of the world, when people are praying to God, they let the host, they let God dictate how the prayer times are gonna go. Because some of us, like we dictate 100% of our prayer time. When it's going to happen, we take our list before God. And look, I'm not saying this is unholy or ungodly or, or legalistic or anything like that. But a lot of times when we pray, it's like, here are the five things I'm praying for. Here are the five or ten people I'm praying for. And we sit down and we go for it. And we're asking the Holy Spirit for breakthrough. In the Eastern world. There are many Christians who commit to silence and reflection and repentance, and they want God to dictate how the prayer time goes. What would it look like for you to occasionally have prayer time where you step into five minutes or ten minutes with God, and you're like, God, how do you want this time to go? Is there a word or a phrase that you want me to think about? God, is this a time right now that just needs to be about gratitude? Like, we let God dictate and it's not that the western or eastern part of the world is right. Like, they need each other. And you look at the way Jesus prays and the way Jesus taught us to pray. That Jesus taught us to pray where we offer requests to God and we get specific about it. You ask and you knock and you seek. And there are times where Jesus says, what do you want me to do for you? Because Jesus wants us to articulate what it is we're asking of God. And we can learn from our eastern brothers and sisters. That there are times that we need to treat prayer not like something that we're going before God as a bank transa transaction, like here's what I need you to do, God, and answer, but that we're going with open hearts of God, what do you want to do in me in the next few minutes? And I am here. So there are times when I teach on prayer, or I'm a people, and I just I want to remind people of two simple truths. One is this: prayer is safe. It is one of the safest places in the world to be. Think about it. In the presence of God, who created the world, who is sustaining the world, yet when we pray, we don't have to worry about God being distracted or God not hearing us. It is one of the safest places in the world to be. Yet at the same time, prayer is dangerous. It's dangerous because we are placing ourselves in the hands of the creator of the world who transforms us, who wants us to look more like Christ. Therefore, because God looks out for the good in us, there are times where God wants to point things out that need to die. Eugene Peterson, he says it like this. He says, be slow to pray. Praying puts us at risk of getting involved with God's conditions. Praying most often doesn't get us what we want, but what God wants. 
something quite at variance with what we conceive to be in our best interests. So I want us to look just for a moment of how Jesus prays. And you don't have to go there, but in Romans chapter 8, verse 34, let it be a blessing in your life when it says, Who then is the one who condemns? And the answer is no one. Christ Jesus who died, and more than that, who was raised to life and is at the right hand of God interceding for us. It's not something that he did. It's not that he interceded. It's in the present tense. This is what Jesus is doing on a throne interceding for you he knows what you're going through and he is interceding therefore jesus in some way is still praying for us today when you read through the gospels a lot of times you don't see content that jesus is praying you just have jesus committing to prayer time where he goes away for an entire night and prays with god or he steps away and goes to the garden where he prays in the wilderness you see jesus pray in a way that was desperate have you ever felt like you've been in a wilderness in your own life and there have been prayers of desperation? When he's on the cross, he prays prayers of suffering. None of us have ever hung on a cross, but you know what it's like to pray prayers of suffering. In the garden, Jesus offers up prayers because he's overwhelmed. He's agitated. There was uncertainty. And I'm sure many of us have had prayer times where we are overwhelmed. There are heavy burdens in our lives. There's agitation. And there's a lot of uncertainty. You have Jesus who sometimes would pray and his prayers were answered. And you have times when Jesus prayed and his prayers were unanswered. Jesus prayed that God would uh, take, uh, take the cup from him. There are multiple times, a couple of times, Jesus prayed and he was not granted his request. On the cross, Jesus prayed a prayer of separation. The silence of God where Jesus cries out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? which at some point in your life, you've probably felt the same thing too. And when you read it of how Jesus prayed it, it doesn't say, Jesus prayed this, but you can't. It's my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Sometimes prayer in the silence of God, it can mess with our minds, it can mess with our hearts, it can sometimes stunt a prayer life. Henry Blackaby wrote this about the silence of God. He says, you can respond to the silence of God in two ways. One response is for you to go into depression, a sense of guilt, and self-condemnation. The other response is for you to have an expectation that God is about to bring you to a deeper knowledge of himself. Not that God's going to do exactly what you need. But that somehow through the silence, what feels like silence, there can be a deeper knowledge of God. And these responses are as different as night and day. So let me place this illustration in front of you. And I guess somewhat to set it up, like I, you've probably seen in California that there have been like record-setting amounts of rain that have hit. I mean, floods, you've probably seen this. And you're pro also probably aware in California there have been droughts over the last few years. There have been some of the worst droughts they've had in decades. And you're probably aware in California, there are a lot of vineyards. And some of you may know that better than others, right? I was talking to a person who worked in a vineyard. And my questions had to do with the Bible, because I was really interested in vines and vineyards and how things grow, like John 15, about the vine and branches. And I was interested in droughts and some of the challenges that, that vineyards face. And there was something he said that I'll never forget. He said, occasional droughts often produce the best grapes. Occasional droughts. 
often produce the best grapes. And the reason why is dryness and droughts force the vine's roots to run deeper. Therefore, strengthening the vine for whatever the future holds. Think about that. Dryness and droughts often make the roots run deeper. Therefore, strengthening the vine for whatever the future holds. So here's a quote for you. And here's how she said it. Sometimes when I stand in some corner of the camp, my feet planted on your earth, my eyes raised towards your heaven, tears sometimes run down my face, tears of deep emotion and gratitude. And I want to be there right in the thick of what people call horror and still be able to say, life is beautiful. Do you know who that quote came from? And do you know where it came from? Her name was Etty Hillison. And the quote came from, maybe you caught it, the corner of a camp. And the camp she's referring to is not Camp Rose of Sharon, or Camp Bandina, or Camp Blue Haven, or some wilderness trek camp. This was from Auschwitz. And this was the prayer she prayed in that camp where Etty, E-T-T-Y, would write in her prayer journal almost every day, but would never live to read her prayer journal to other people because she died in the camp. And in that place, what she offered up was, I want to be right in the thick of what people call horror and still be able to say, life is beautiful. And then she said this, yes, I lie here in a corner, parched and dizzy and feverish and, un and unable to do a thing, yet I am also with the jasmine and the piece of sky beyond my window. And listen to this. For once you have begun to walk with God, you need only keep on walking with God and all of life becomes one long stroll. A marvelous feeling. Isn't that amazing? And to think, hours before Jesus' death. And he knew. He knew the cross was right in front of him. Jesus isn't praying that God would numb the pain or give him some heavenly epidural, like to not make it as hard as it was going to be. Hours before his death on a cross, he prays. And he prays for himself. He prayed a few things about himself. But what we read he prayed for himself was, I'm here to glorify you. I'm here for your agenda. And in that place, he prayed for his disciples, and he prayed for us. And today, in even events of this past week, what happened in Nashville, a lot of times you see people, and you see this on social media, like prayers aren't enough, right? Like we don't, we don't need prayers, we need action. And I think when it comes to any conversation about prayer and action, Jesus is going to say, you can't separate them. Right? One doesn't cancel out the other. Prayer always should lead to some kind of action. And any action that the church should want in the world should stem from a place that is a heart that is deeply rooted in prayer. And Jesus prays for his disciples, and I don't have this on the screen, but I, I read it earlier, and his prayer for his disciples was that my prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them. And Jesus is praying for disciples knowing 
that in weeks and months and over the years that they're, they're going to be persecuted, they're going to die in his name, and his prayer is not that God would protect them from all harm. It's that, God, I, our prayer isn't just that you keep them safe because we're sending them into the world, but as they're sent into the world, will you protect them? That's his prayer, knowing what they're going to go through. And he prays that as they're sent into the world, that they will have joy and that they will be united no matter what. And then Jesus prays for us, and you see this on the screen, in verse 20 through 23, where his prayer is that they may be one, and again, they may be one as we are one, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Like, do you think Jesus takes unity seriously? And you know how unity would work really well in the world? If all of you would see the world exactly how I see the world, unity would be great. Have you ever thought that? Like if everybody else would just think about the world the way I think about the world, unity could be really easy. But unity's not always easy, right? It's not always easy. But here's what one person says about it. Jesus expects the world to be a better place for his having been there and his disciples too. And he has been on assignment below, as it were, and he means to keep his influence strong after his necessary departure. And Jesus' prayer ends with this in verse 26. I've made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. You remember the song, When the Saints Go Marching In? This song about marching into heaven. And I remember a few years ago, Sarah Groves, the recording artist, great singer-songwriter, she wrote a song, but she flipped the idea. And it's not that Sarah was against marching into heaven. I think we all believe the saints are going to march into heaven. She made it into a song about marching into the world. This is what saints do. We unite around Jesus. And it's not just that we're waiting to march into heaven. It's that as a united force, we march into the world as people who have been sent. And think about this. Every Sunday, when we unite around the table and when we unite from the table, we are living out the answer to the prayers Jesus prayed in John chapter 17. Think about that. As a united force, the united church, we take the bread and the cup together and we walk out of this place with the bread and cup to go shine the light of Jesus in the world. And when we do, we are living out the answer to Jesus' prayer in John 17. I hope God will open your eyes to see the many opportunities he's going to place in front of you this week to shine the light and the love of God. And when it comes to prayer, time is never the excuse. We have the time. It's about priorities. And I hope that you will see this week how many opportunities are going to be placed in front of you where God is waiting and inviting and ready to meet with you. So this morning, Willie Thomas, one of our elders, is going to be up here to my right. Tommy Collier, one of our elders, our shepherds, is going to be in the back. Jenna King will be to my right. Kim Chapman to my left. And I'll be up front to my immediate left to receive you for prayer. If you have prayer cards, feel free to hand those to one of us as you make your way to or from a table. 
And up here to my right where Willie is, if there's anything you want to bring before this church, Willie is the place that you need to go. Can we bow our heads, close our eyes? For Jesus, I hope and I pray that how I've presented John 17 honors who you are in a way today that will help us just appreciate all that you have done for us, how you have prayed for us, what you have done to pave a way so that we could live in unity with you. And God, I pray where unity, just in our own lives, has been disrupted by any form, that Jesus, you'll come and make things right. And as a united force today, God, we take the bread and the cup in appreciation for all you have done to give us eternal life. And I pray that the bread and the cup today will also remind us how we have been sent into the world to be your light. So through Christ we pray. Amen.